As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times. Now with Goals. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and this week it's a little bit different. You'll recall last week we had uh, two former professional footballers on, plus Rory K. Smith. Uh, this week we have no former professional footballers on. Uh, so I'm wondering if there'll be a different vibe. And I also wonder if maybe uh, James Cocroft will be a little bit less, if there'll be rather less snippiness in the air without the adorable James Scowcroft. Kidding, Scowie, I'm kidding. And hence, joining me today, we have qualified referee Alison Rudd, who also happens to be a very experienced journalist as well. Qualified, what position do you play? I can play anywhere yeah. you want me to play, really. Qualified jack-of-all-trades, yep. Julian Lawrence, and down the line from somewhere way, way, way up north, it's Rory K. Smith. Coming up, we'll be discussing all the action in the Premier League, but obviously we need to start with the magic of the FA Cup. Alison, let's begin with you. Yeah, could we could we begin with me? Because I just want to point out, I did play for Leighton Orient ladies, and I have played at Anfield. Did you play professionally? Wow. So yeah, we we all played football. So, we all played football. Did you play professionally? So, no, but but you went to Julian as though he played, and that made him special. Oh, well, I couldn't I couldn't find a. I know you're a qualified referee. I'm a qualified football coach, and I've played football. Wow. Well, what 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 license do you have? Uh, What's it called? Oh, it's, it's called the level one coaching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, but you know, I think everyone should have that wait, before they're allowed to talk about football. Isn't level one the best? No, level one's the. Lowest. But you want to get to level one, like no. oh, so it works it works in reverse, like level ninety nine yeah, actually the best took, for the people who don't know. Uh, it's cool. What? For the people who don't know it's quick, they think that you're level one. Oh, wow, yeah. you're level one. You've reached level yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> Rory, do you have any badges or licenses? Anything worthwhile to tell us? Uh, I have several swimming awards. Really? Like, They're just, not awards. No, you no, just, just pass just when... Like the bronze swimming certificate, the silver swimming certificate. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a competent swimmer. That's what I'll say. When did you stop swimming competitively? I never, never started swimming competitively. <laughs> I can just swim. That's all. All right, enough digressions here. United and Everton, let's start with you, Alison. I was struck by this, that there was a real buoyancy about United in this game and vim and vigor and everything. I thought, like, oh, wow, look, they're kind of coming together. And then I watched the highlights, and I said, you know what? As horrible as Everton were, there were, like, three or four goals that United could have easily uh, given up. I mean, I'm thinking in addition to the goal they did concede, obviously the penalty, and that that weird four-on-two break at the end where... Fellaini sort of ends up making the saving tackle. Where I come from, you don't conceive four-on-two breaks when the score is level, ever. So should I not get so excited about United? The buoyancy, I think, comes from the fact that 
United won and they're through to a cup final. And well, no, you didn't know feel... that when they were on the pitch, though. Until the buoyancy was on the pitch. You felt the buoyancy happened as you were watching I thought they were it. lively, yeah. Okay, I felt like, but, this okay, is good. Well, okay, then first half, Everton were nervous. They missed an early... Lukaku missed an early chance. Uh, Rooney did his goal line clearance. I think that provided the team with some buoyancy. And I think it is fair to say, in that first half, United were pressed hard, they pressed well, and they looked uh, reasonably good. Overall, I was probably more disappointed with United after the game than I had, you know, than I had been going into the game with them because the minute Everton upped the tempo, they for some reason they sat back. Maybe they do this every time they they don't play well. I, I, haven't, I haven't seen them often enough to know that this is a completely regular occurrence. But as soon as Everton played well, they they, they didn't fight fire with fire. They sat back. Their pressing had had been so effective, they seemed to stop moving. And to almost say to Everton, oh, go on then, have a turn, have a turn. And really, in football, it doesn't matter, does it? You get the chances, you take them or you don't take them. And De Gea is as an important player for United as anyone else. And the fact they had an outstanding, yet another outstanding game matters. That's an important thing. It's a good thing for United. But if it hadn't been for him, Everton would be through to the final. There was a very strange, long lull in that performance from United. And I don't know how to explain it. I don't know how a team goes from playing that first half, where they look on top, to being... Um, they looked... Um, immediately frightened of a good Everton side. I don't know I don't know where that comes from. That to me is a problem for that for that team. Were you gonna be as negative as Allison about United? No, I'd go along with that. I think it's it's slightly strange and I, again I don't really know how you explain it. That, that they seem to almost decide that they wanted to, to cede the initiative to Everton and Everton kinda of took advantage. It was it was a game between two really flawed teams, I think. That's the and, and United are as we pro, as kind of it sounds really boring, but as the lead table kinda of says probably slightly less flawed than, than Everton and that, that's why they went through. I thought it was, it, it was very, very harsh on Everton not to get to extra time. I think that I, I personally was quite looking forward to extra time uh, so would have liked it to go to extra time. But it, yeah, United, United do have this, this weird inability not to perform. You never see United put in a really good 90 minutes anymore. I can't remember the last time I've looked at, watched an entire United game and thought you were excellent for 90 minutes, even against Arsenal when they won 3-2 and it was that kind of great sort of Old Trafford was bouncing and Rashford scored twice and it, was, it felt a bit like the old United. They, they weren't the old United because they did have long swathes of the game where they weren't really in control. <laughs> I'm going to overcome by negativity. I, I had another question, but it's also potentially negative. I don't know if I should ask it or try to get Julius their spirits. Oh, no, look, um, it's, it's not, you can't say it's a negative weekend for United. They've got the FA Cup final. It's a great weekend for United. No, no, no. But they, listen, those are results, right? Snooty Euro hipster like me, I don't care about results. I care about performances. And I would have expected them against this horrendous Everton team. To, to go and to go and and, and play better and, and can continue and play well for ninety minutes. Um, but then I look at it and and it felt to me like in the first half they were doing just that. And then I went back through it and I said like this is actually why are they making all these mistakes? I'm sorry, like Chris Smalling. Why does he? Why does he clear the ball with his wrong foot? I don't know. And you can't blame Van Hal and call him a no. fraud. No, that's this true. is the, I that's don't. True. This is this is what gets me about Chris Smalling. Right? Is he's not a kid anymore? He's experienced. He's a really bright guy too. Right? He, doesn't he have all these like didn't he, like actually go to school like a real school until yeah, he was he like did, he did. whatever time. and I would have thought when you play football for a living you are conditioned it's drilled into you what foot to go with in that situation yeah and so how does it happen he started the season really well as well and I thought okay this is a this is going to be Chris Mulling season and then since the turn of the year I thought he's been he had some good games and some very very average and that mistake on on Saturday I thought was like 
Like, why would you go? Why'd you do that? Why'd you take that foot to do that? So unless he lost a lot of confidence, maybe, or maybe he just didn't know how to deal with the situation and he was not prepared for it, which is an even worse mistake. That, that would be worse yeah. if that was the case. And you do wonder, like... I'm guessing maybe he, he got distracted. I, I, I'll give him the out that maybe some, sure. somebody distracted him, maybe somebody... Maybe he's just not as good as we thought he was, or he could be. You're talking about England starting center half here. One more negative on United. Not negative, but I just want to ask this question. Is Fosu Mensah actually any good? I mean, any good (laughs) in the sense that, like, we can project him to be United's right, but, you know, is he the next... Can he be a Gary Neville type, or is he just a guy who happens to be playing because he's young and he likes to chuck in the young kids, especially when when they come from Holland? I think Fosu Mensah is very, very good. I think that right back isn't necessarily his strongest yeah, position. I agree. If you speak to the people at the United Academy, they think that the funny thing is left back, centre back, central midfield. They think he can play all the, all all of those positions. Right back isn't necessarily his strong suit. So why but does he play him at right back? The one. Why does Louis Van Gaal do anything? No <laughs> exactly. idea. The weirdest thing is when he's been playing Darmian at left back and Fossi Mensah at right back. I just, that I just don't understand. But the one inverted fullbacks, man. Fossi Mensah. <laughs> is there is a risk with players who are very powerful, very quick and very strong as teenagers, that that is their level. That they don't, if you, I think if you go back, that those, those types of teenagers tend not to develop a huge amount more, whereas a, a, a teenager who's got less physical advantage can often have a, a greater kind of scope to improve, if you know what I mean. Do we think that hauling him off after he gave away the penalty it would have helped his confidence in any way? I thought that was peculiar. Is it better than leaving him on to make another mistake if you feel as though his head's gone a little bit? I didn't get the impression it was a head's-gone tackle at all. Trying to interpret one I agree with you, it looks a bit weird, but um, but then it is Van Gaal. Yeah, so. Van Gaal yeah. Is he ahead of, say, like the guy who got hurt, Cameron Borthwick-Jackson, or his name is, would you put him ahead of him? Well, Borthwick-Jackson is a proper left-back, though. He's a proper full-back, and you could see that the way he plays. You could see the way he crosses the ball. For well, he's also technically, Borthwick-Jackson also looks a lot better than this Completely, guy. I, I, I completely I, I agree. I don't understand. I, I don't think technically he's that good for to, to, to play fullback. And these guys who are at the academy say he can play the fullback, center <laughs> forward, whatever. Like, I don't know. I mean, I, I, do they think he's he has another level to go through to technically, or do they think that this is his technique, his passing, his, his crossing, this is it? He's very young. I'm asking he will, Rory. Imp- he will improve. Well, yeah, but take your point. But, like, your technique doesn't generally your, – your technical ability when you're 17 – will only improve so much relative to other aspects of your game, right? Yeah, yeah but true. if you've never really played fullback before and you don't really know how to cross the ball, you, you know, it's something that you can learn and improve on, for example, as in crossing the ball. What did he play before he came here? Didn't he play centre-half? But the thing is, it's Ajax, isn't it? So it's, it's, he probably played everywhere, probably true. played in goal and up front. Well, that's the other thing that gets me a little bit, given that it is Ajax and that they're all about technique, why he looks so raw. But it's not the technique that improves. You're right about that, Dad, that it's not the technique that improves. It's things like decision-making and positioning and tactical awareness that improve, and they help you showcase your technique better. I don't know. It just seems like all of a sudden he's he's a superstar, but I thought the other guys, but Borthwick Jackson... Look to me like a, like a more accomplished player, and I believe they're roughly the same age, aren't they? And they, well, they, they can't be more than a year between them. But the the, the weird thing about Borthwick Jackson is that Van Gaal seems now to have decided he doesn't doesn't fancy him that much. <laughs> was he still injured? Or is no, he... he's playing for the twenty one. Yeah, oh. he was not even on the bench. Well, there you go. Looks like Wayne Rooney playing deeper. But since we want to say some nice things too, I thought Rooney was fine. I don't think there was anything much wrong with him. But obviously, Fellaini alongside him, I thought had an absolute monster game. Can we give some credit and some love to to Van Gaal? Because remember earlier when they weren't doing well, you would have thought, well, there's a lack of pace and agility. Allison, Fellaini, Rooney, and Carrick, that's a pretty stodgy three in the middle, right? 
Yeah. Um, and yet it worked. Well, partly because obviously Van Hal is a, a fan of the immutable law of the X, and it worked. And I you don't think Van Hal's superstitious. Oh, I think he's desperately superstitious. <laughs> <laughs> he's looking at um, star signs in his notes. That's what he's doing. He's thinking, oh, I've got a Libra at centre forward. Yeah. Fantastic. If you had loads of Libras in your team, you'd have loads of balance. Exactly. But exactly. No, well, I, I've not been as down on Fellaini as the United fans have and some commentators have been. I think Fellaini is a fine player and a very difficult presence for any opposition to play against. And perhaps it's about chemistry and maybe playing alongside Rooney in that midfield. Maybe that, that worked. Maybe it clicked. Maybe it worked. He certainly played with um, a sort of positional freedom because sometimes Fellaini's asked to do stuff and then he's criticised for not sticking to the role he was asked to do. And when, when he was at Everton, it was that sort of just go out and cause trouble approach. That Those were the games he shone in. And he sort of seemed to have been given, well, I don't know if he was given that uh, remit or not, but he certainly acted like he had. And it, and it was hard for Everton to cope with him. He was everywhere. That, that the, 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 Fellaini looks bad when he's not used in a role that he's suited to. And it sounds really, really overly simple, but he's, he's never going to be like Pele, but he's, he, does, he does a job well. When he's t- when he's given a job that he can do, but when okay. you've got someone next to him who can who is actually a proper football player, it helps him because that means he doesn't have the responsibility of having to do a pass, having to dictate the game because that you know Rooney can do that, and then Fellaini can, like Rory said, can do what he's good at and what he knows what he can do. The problem with Fellaini has always been tr- him trying to be someone else. That, yeah, that like never man- works. Managers don't want him to be himself. They look at him and think you could be something yeah. different, but you okay. just have to let Fellaini be himself. So with an eye towards next year, though, here, here's my question. When we try to project forward and what United could do, and it's hard to tell. But if you look at sort of this setup of, of, of a front six, so you know, I'm assuming nobody has a problem with Rashford or a possible new centre forward, and Martial's not an issue. Lingard, I guess, maybe you upgrade that. But 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 that the one behind Carrick, obviously you want to upgrade that at some point because he's not going to play till he's 50. But those two Rooney's there. But what strikes me about Fellaini is Fellaini's got a pretty unique skill set. So if you replace Fellaini with somebody else going forward, or if you're going to play this way, the implication is you're trying to build something, right? You're kind of stuck with Fellaini because it's not like you can get you can go out and sign a better version of Fellaini because there aren't very many players like that. Did you, did you see what I'm going with this? Yeah, but you can also play in a different way, for example, in having Herrera instead of Fellaini. So a trio of Carrick, Herrera, Rooney in midfield. In a but sort then of you like don't get the benefit of Fellaini. Physicality of, yeah, but you, if you have... If you have the ball more, you've got ball players in there, and that could be enough. I really like Ander Herrera, but was his foul on Barkley not the most annoying foul you have ever seen? <laughs> well, when he pulled them back? Yeah. Man. Like the proper two-handed pullback. Was, is, is lit, I like Snide, but that well, is the most irritating foul I've ever... I, I, Barkley did really well not to punch him. Would you have preferred if he'd gone, slid in and taken him out? It's not the cynicism, it was the sort of, it was the desperation, it was the fact that he'd lost him, so he had to grab on with two hands. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, unfortunately, those are the rules, and I don't think there's any, those are the laws of the game, and, and there's not really any way around that, is there? I mean, unless, if a referee were to send him off for being so annoying and stupid, then the referee would get in trouble. But you're right, it, it, it was annoying. We talked quickly about Roberto Martinez. I heard his quotes after the game. He thought that Everton didn't deserve to lose. On the show last night, uh, they do for ESPN, Steve Nichol commented, it's amazing that in Martinez's head, Everton haven't deserved to lose a single game this season. Is he a bit deluded? Did they deserve to lose? Will he be back next year, Alison? Doesn't look like it, does it? 
all the noises are that they were drawing up a short list for his replacement before the um, final, which implies that even if he'd got to the final and won it, he would still be on his way out, which is a shame. Because we'll never know, probably, if he was allowed to stay and build with some of the new money that might be coming in, what he might achieve. I get, I get completely why he's frustrating everybody with his relentless smiles and optimism and coating everything in sugar. I don't think he's suddenly a bad manager. I think he's in a spiral of... Uh, I don't want to use the word delusion, though, Gab. He's too clever to call him deluded. And I'm sure privately he doesn't go around saying those things. He's just got a manner, hasn't he? He just believes it's wrong to criticise your players in public. And well, it's funny because that's what us hipsters love, Thomas Tuchel, right? When did you become a hipster? You well, I don't, yourself but a hipster I, 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 twice I'm already. Not, I know, I know. Obviously not, but... Like, Tuchel always says that, like, you know, you, you, you don't ever want to criticize you only want to want to want to support and whatever else and i could see martinez doing that there is something of the self-help manual in it there was an excellent piece by uh by ollie k drawing this parallel between uh martinez and, and your pal brendan allison about how you know sort of towards the end of brendan's tenure people were sort of continually deriding him but he actually did a lot of good and there was there was a lot of a lot of fundamentally good things about him. <laughs> Alison stone-faced, but <laughs> this is all these theories, so take it up with him. And it's the same way with, 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 with Roberto Tambien, uh, also, because we we have the situation where he was the bright young thing a couple years ago. So the thing the good with Martinez things. is that... Martinez, coño! The thing with Martinez is that, as Alison says, he's not he's not become a bad manager, and I've got to admit the, the sort of vitriol towards him from, from Everton fans, while I understand it, makes me a little bit uncomfortable. He's, 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 he's a good bloke, he's a good manager, he's done good things at that club. He's not done as well as he should have done after that first season, there's no question about that, and I think if, if they did decide to replace him, you, you can certainly understand it. But the thing that I find most interesting is that I think if he wasn't so positive, so relentlessly positive, I think the fans would probably have a bit more... The fans maybe wouldn't be quite so enraged by it. I think it's the fact that, and Alison's quite right, he won't go home and think, yeah, we deserve to win that game, weren't we brilliant? He will be aware that they're making mistakes. He's not stupid. But it's the fact that he won't ever admit to any of them that you sort of think, well, after a while, it, it, becomes, it just becomes very frustrating for the supporters. And I, I did a thing on Martinez a few, a few weeks ago. Martinez. And the reaction when you speak to people, ex-players, fans, people around the club is they just, they just like to hear him criticise the team or admit they weren't that good once or twice, just to, just to kind of almost reassure them that, that he accepts that things aren't as they should be. I think that's what's the cause of the frustration. Right, moving on to the other semi, semi-final, Crystal Palace and Watford. Uh, so Palace beat Watford 2-1. Right, moving on. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I fooled you there. Um, but the good thing is we won't, we won't be talking so much about it. It means that... Uh, we'll be talking less about Alan Pardew. Alison, <laughs> you wrote about Jernak. Yeah. Can I, you I wrote beautifully about Jernak. You wrote very Maybe you'd beautifully. Maybe like to say that. Yeah. Yes. Can you, can you just share your story in, in capsule form? Oh, capsule. Jernak could have gone in the summer. Pardew didn't really rate him. I don't know if he didn't actually rate him as a, as a player. I just thought he was so so much part of the Pulis regime. He thought, might anyway, he had a few deals in the pipeline. He decided to stay. Didn't like personal terms, probably. Um, palace owner really likes Jedinak, but he wasn't. Which palace owner? The the one we all love, Steve Parish, and um, the only real one. Real one, the, new, the <laughs> not the new one, the real one. Uh, Tony Pulis built his team around 
Jedinak, and uh, he was, you know, he was the, the the player of the season. He he saved them from relegation, and and he was an all. It wasn't quite peripheral under Pardew this season, but he was a bit. But slowly, slowly, I believe Pardew has realised what he has in the Australian, and it all came to uh, fruition the right way at Wembley. He he, I think, was the first name on the team sheet because he was the first name he mentioned in the presser beforehand. He stayed on the pitch the whole time. He's rarely done that this season. And he complete, Jednak completely ran the game in an old-fashioned sort of way. He sort of was constantly directing everybody on the pitch um, where to go, where to be. Even Kabai, who's um, above any recrimination or any... In, any, any you're not allowed to talk about Kabai. Kabai is God, according to Pardew. And Jednak was, was sort of telling him where to be. It was a masterclass in how to captain a team to, uh, towards an FA Cup final. Okay, time for some Pardew evaluations. Obviously, I think they've won one game since uh, the end of December in the Premier League, but you know, they're obviously in an FA Cup final now against Manchester United, rerun of 1990, wonderful subtext, Pardew's goal in the, um, in, in the first game, the one that finished 3-3, as I recall. My question is, when we, we talk about the FA Cup, and I, I was struck by this, Rory. So this game, this palace Watford game, was on at the same time as the Leicester game. And I think to most neutrals, you know, the Leicester story and whether they go and win the title is more important. And it, it just didn't feel big the way perhaps the past semifinals were involved. And it's, it's an easy reason to go and put down the FA Cup. But then it struck me that for Palace and for Watford, you know, the reality is there really isn't that much social mobility in, in football. I know people are going to talk about Leicester, but that's, that's obviously an outlier. Palace and Watford are never going to become you know, barring some cataclysm, it's highly unlikely that they will become Manchester City or even Tottenham. And I wonder, like, what kind of people are Palace and Watford fans? And it strikes me that unless you have family ties to the clubs or, or unless you're, you're from the area, there's really no reason to become a Palace or a Watford fan. Unless, as a kid, you catch games like this or you, or you catch the final and whatever and something sticks with you and that's when you fall in love. That's exactly what Pardew said on Friday. I know. Alan Pardew. You love him so Alan much, Pardew don't you? And I, you and him. No, but we, we were Where far more like... Where does he end like, and you begin? I know. <laughs> I'm not sure. We're far more like than, uh, uh, than, than, than either of us care to admit. And that's why we have this <laughs> we have this special relationship, oh, let me say. So, Rory, is the fact that Palace are so successful in the Cup and so bad in the Premier League, is that just really not really surprising and we shouldn't talk about Cup form and League form because it's just kind of stupid? The reality is it's a simple variance in individual games and that's why they're in the FA Cup final? I th- well, I think the fact that they, that they have been able to, to get to the top final is proof that they are quite a good side. They've got some quite good players. They've got a couple of match winners. They've got a, a distinct way of playing that kind of works for them. Um, and we saw all that in the first half of the season. But I think, I, I, I've got to admit, I think the fact that you had two semi-finals between four teams, all of whom's managers managers are under pressure. Obviously, Van Gaal's under pressure. Martinez probably going to go. Uh, Tite Sanchez Flores, the, the the Watford owners seem to have lost patience with. We'll get to that. that That's not quite true. Related to stop spreading lies. To performance, but you then have Pardew, who's won one game this calendar year in the league, and he's not under pressure at all. And I've got, got to admit, I do find that astonishing because. One of the reasons that Watford are sort of worried about Flores is because their form's been so bad since January that they're, they're looking at, at Leicester at one end and Sunderland at the other, and they're thinking if you end one season badly, it's very hard to pick up the start of the next season and be really good. And that, I think there's probably a, a logic to that. I'd love to know the numbers on it, whether, the, whether you can prove that that does happen. But 
that certainly logically it kind of appeals to you. And yet Pardew's overseen this absolutely diabolical run-in to the season, and no one's even saying... Maybe Pard should be under pressure, and I find that I, I genuinely find that astonishing. I, wa- I wonder if that's also because, whereas with the other clubs, when it comes to who's under pressure, Voiceover describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. Voiceover on settings, so you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar. Double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from ten to eleven, and get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. And whatever else, there are multiple people talking. With Pardew, there's only Parrish and Mark Bright. But of course, they don't actually own the club, do they? No, they didn't. Well, they, the Parrish has got an interest in it. But no, the, the owners obviously are, are in, in the States. I wonder if anybody's actually spoken to them and how they feel about Pardew and maybe some of Pardew's the ultimate Pardew season because Pardew's teams have always done this and it's kind of what, what he does as a manager he gets runs together of seven, eight, nine, ten games would you sack good. him Rory? would I sack him? yes no but I, I th- I'd certainly would you him ban him from, from, from football? no I would not ban him from football Gab. I wouldn't sack him as he got to the cup final and that, that means he gets to stay without shadow of a doubt but I would certainly ask him quite why they've been so bad in the league this season and I'd make sure that he knows that this is not acceptable if they lose the, the, the cup final and finish 14th it's a, it's a disappointing season would you sack him? I wouldn't sack him I would tell him next season you have to you have to do better than that it's just not I don't think with the money they've spent as well on Kabai for example but, but not just Kabai I don't, I don't think it's good enough to finish 15th in this season's Premier League even if you reach the FA Cup final and if you end up if you win it, it's different okay but if you lose the cup final and finish 14th or 15th I'm would sorry, you sack him Alison? No, of course not. Well, since oh, when yeah. did Palace become a team you expect to be top half? They're a team that struggle to stay in the Premier League. They're not after the first half of the season they had, for example. I think that, been... that's the crucial thing, isn't it? It's where they were after the first half. To, to, the collapse has been astonishing. And they've got a squad to, to be better than 15th. Let's talk quickly about Watford. Kike sanchez Flores, as you said, there are, there are tons of rumours surrounding him. But you're going and... to tell us the truth, Gab. <laughs> I can tell. No, but... I, I do find it interesting. People are going to trot out that stupid thing about, oh, look, you know, the mad, Watford's mad owners. They had four managers last season, you know, sort of not forgetting that, you know, one of those managers was, was an interim manager. One of them was you know, Ill. had a heart attack, right, mm-hmm. and nearly died, and that's why he's no longer manager. Uh, and the other one was always going to stay on till the end of the season. And, in fact, Jokanovic, and this is what still gets me, this this cult of the manager here. Oh, the new gaffer's in. He decides everything. It's so called... You know, when Jokanovic joined Watford, his coaching staff was all... Just Jokanovic showed up on his own. The coaching staff, it was all Oscar Garcia's coaching staff. So in reality, they actually had a lot of continuity the year that they, that they came up, and Jokanovic simply stepped into that. But anyway, I, I, I digress. Does it make sense that he should be moving on? I mean, I can see how it would make sense if we view it as like a punishment. He's not been good enough. But given what he's achieved this season, he'll get a better job at a better club, right? Yeah, he yep. will. He will. Like, so I think it'd be stupid to sack him completely. I, I don't understand it at all. I really don't. If you think someone else could have done a better job, uh, you know, apart from the top, 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 top managers that wouldn't go to Watford, I just don't know. I think he's a very talented manager. He's good. He's got great ideas. He's a clever guy. Why would you? Unless you think you can get better, but who, who better than him could come to Watford next season? They, yeah. they probably have an idea if, if they're really going to sack him they have someone else obviously ready but I don't know that they will but I think it doesn't make sense to me I, I think they feel that they run their club a certain way and that it's proven to be generally successful over the years 
And within that context, the manager has a specific role. He's, he's a first-team coach. Maybe this season there were certain situations. Uh, I'll give you an example, right? Maybe nobody knows who he is because, unfortunately, clubs like Watford don't get a lot of press. But they decided, you know, in January, they needed to sign a third striker, right, after Dini and, and, and Igalo because basically they played too much, which is part of the reason why in the second half of the season they've generally been not as good. And he insists on signing... Amrabat. Amrabat is not a center forward. He's hardly played as a center forward. He's, he's a winger, and he's not a particularly good winger as well. I think decisions like those, when the clubs say, look, you know, we want to get this guy, and the manager says, no, I need my guys, my players, me, you know, you know back me, which, is, which I think works in the context of certain clubs where the manager's given license to everything, but not in the context of this club. Okay, so it's and not that like he's not good enough. It's just that... The way he sees his I job think he and would the like way to the have, family sees the I job think, is different. I think he would like to have more control at the club than and he's They don't at. want him to have more control. That's and why. They're going to get someone who will have no control. Is that what you mean? Well, not no control. They'll no, have someone who will coach the team and, and choose yeah. the starting 11 and, 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 and so on. But I think the, the way they view it, and I don't think it's incorrect, is that if we get a manager and we give the manager total control over everything, then the minute the manager, then it's going to be one of two things. If the manager does badly and then we have to sack him and then we're back to square one, or the manager does really well, and then he moves on to a bigger club because we're Watford, we're not Barcelona, right? Simple as. So they say, so instead, we're going to put these structures in place, a little bit like what Southampton have done, where I know Koeman's wonderful and everything, but you know it's certainly not coincidental that the last three managers they've had have done rather well. I think they feel pretty confident that if Koeman moves to a bigger club, those systems that they have in place will remain in place, and Koeman himself has agreed to work within, within those systems. I just think that's the, the, the issue with Kike Sanchez-Flores. It's not that he's a bad manager. He's a very good manager. There's, there is one other issue, which is I think the club think he has his eyes elsewhere. And that's, part, that's partly the worry. Well, that's, which is entirely understandable when you look at his CV and, and, and you look at his, his situation. I, well, also I, when you look at Watford's CV and Watford's situation, you can, you can understand it. And you, it, I, I like Gino Pozzo a lot. I, like, I love the way that they run their clubs. I think it's really intelligent use of resources. But you can understand that a manager in that situation might start thinking, well, hang on, the chances of this is not a job for life, I won't bother putting a deposit down on a house. And if something else looks like it might come up, say, in the, in the general vicinity of Valencia, then I might, make, I might make it known that I wouldn't be averse to going back. Let's move on to our debate. We want to talk about the PFA Award quickly because we had a whole PFA chat last week. That was amazing. That was fantastic. Do you remember where consensus PFA award winner was last week? Well, I, I went for Vardy because Strowey said, oh, loads of players in the lower leagues will vote for Vardy. And that's the last time I let James Strowcroft pretend he's the voice of the nation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just out of curiosity, would you, your choice have been Mahrez? Oh, yeah. Every day. All right. Don't pick the French guy. Go ahead. The Parisian, even. Well, it's even worse, yeah. <laughs> Alison? Oh, well, if, if you're talking about picking one from the shortlist, I'd have picked Kante, mainly because he's the player most coveted, therefore he must be the best. I like that. Is he more coveted than yes, Harry Kane? Yes, There are more managers after him than any of the others. Okay, what if you were picking not from the shortlist? Oh, um, Deli Ali's my player of the season. Don't, mm. I don't believe in having a young player of the season. Everybody's young. Everybody's young. Well, so, so it's all relative, I, I suppose. I want to move on to something else. Uh, just just on Marius, one, one quick thing. Yes, tell us something younger. No, 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 but young, younger, he was the one who, ne- who was never going to make it. No one believed in him. And it's just, for him, winning the play of the season is, is one for those people who are told all around the country, this country, every country in Europe, you're not going to make it as a professional. I want to ask about this, because when you said 
when he was younger, because I've heard conflicting things about this. When you say he was young, when you're when you're saying nobody said he was going to make it, you're talking at like at this level, yeah. Because there was a point when he was much younger when he was actually quite highly rated. But no, no academy took him. He was playing at, at 18. He was still playing in his hometown, north suburbs of Paris, council estate town, with the first team, and that was it. No one looked at him as an academy director, a club, and thought, hmm, "There's something there. Let's take him to our academy." Same with Conte. Conte is exactly, and maybe Conte is even worse because Mares had a special left foot. It always had. Conte was, you know, younger, didn't look like he could reach this level. But I just think, just don't give up. Don't give up. Have you know, believe in yourself and don't give up because Mares had to leave, go for in a very small time, play in the fourth division, and then in the second division, no one cared about him. No one wanted to take him. Marseille insulted him when when his name was brought forward to the chairman and said like, Mares, no thanks. And now look where he is. Same with Conte and, and same with Vardy. And not just them two. And not just well, Vardy is a bit Paris. of a different issue. It is different. And in France, we seem lately to have those Mares, Conte, Koscielny, Giroud, Valbuena, Ribéry, all those kids who were told you're not good enough, either being rejected from the academy they went or not making an academy full stop and have a different path to where they are now, international players, some world-class, others not so world-class, but still. And I just think Mares winning it yesterday is a proof that one is great for street players because Mario is a street player and, and I like that a lot. But also, you might be told when you're 17, 18, you're not going to make it. You might have to go to a smaller club in League 2, in League 1, in the Championship, you know, wherever, in the conference. Just don't give up because one day, you know, you could be Mario's. Julian has just destroyed his home nation. It's just that it shows you that Raymond it, Dominic is in, is in charge of everything. Then. No, but there's different ways to get there. And, you know, you might... And there's a lot of kids who get rejected from academies who never even picked by an academy. It doesn't mean you're not going to make it. There's different parts to it. Some players have, have the normal way, like Martial or, you know, Thierry Henry, people like that. And others do it differently, but they get there in the end. But well, this is really interesting because about, about 10 years ago, or maybe between five and 10 years ago, we were really, really oh, lusting after the French system. And now people, you're saying, and now you're people, saying they make a string of terrible Alison, mistakes. Alison, no, the people. people who lost after systems are stupid. The people who think that there is a one one paradigm of this is how let's do it. Those are the people who jump from the Dutch system to the to the Spanish system to the French system to, to the German system. Oh yeah, the German system is so good. Look at those wonderful center forwards they produced in the last ten years. There is no one size fits all. There are certain best practices, and often the best practices are actually regional. And that's why I think like a whole centralized system for the whole nation is actually stupid as well. You know, it, it, what works in some situations doesn't work in others. And there's such extreme variance as well. And also, even though side might disagree, there's also a high level of chance and probability of where the outstanding freak show natural talent is going to be born. Can I ask a question yeah. of Julio? Yeah. Because I love him dearly. Is <laughs> part of that not because, and I take your point completely, that a lot of the, the players that have come through have been kind of told you won't make it. But surely if you look at the number of young players in France at the moment, there's an incredible generation in France. Yeah. Is, that, is, that, is there not a natural kind of process of some people will be told, well, you're not good enough because this level is so high? Yes, maybe. But you also have examples of people who were told they were not good enough because the level was so high and still make it. And, you know, I mentioned a lot of names. Nabil Fekir is another one when we talk about that young generation coming through. And it's just, it's just fascinating. And to your point, Alison, you know, our academy system produces some incredible players, Ousmane Dembele being the latest one, obviously, in that generation. But we've got some coming up, 16, 17, who are going to be great. 
but also you know the, the lower leagues I think lower leagues football in every league in every country for a long time was like we're not even looking at it mm. um, I'm assuming we all watch match of the day on Saturday night religiously and if not we catch it on Sunday morning Eden Hazard came out and Eden Hazard finally plays plays well I think scores his first league goal since last May and he goes out he's all smiling joking saying like and he's talking about how the end of the season and he says well you know we really want to we really want to go and we want to prove ourselves against against Tottenham. We want to stop Tottenham from winning the league because we're all Leicester fans. We'd be fine to a point. Obviously, there's a big rivalry between between Spurs and Chelsea. But by the same token, it's not lost on anybody that, that Hazard's Chelsea will play Leicester on the last day of the season as well. And if they come out and say they're Leicester fans and they want Leicester to win the title, that could be problematic. All right, you're nodding because you have I a... I think it's you, a disgrace, an absolute disgrace to say something like that. But why? It's Spurs. <laughs> Just, you can't... You, when you, You're going to play them each... And you say like, oh, yeah, I don't want Spurs to win the league. I want Leicester to win the league. I just think, I just think it's disgraceful from Hazard. And I and I love him a lot. And as you know, he's obviously half French. But I thought it was disgraceful. Really, dis- you can't say something like that. It's just, I, 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 you know, I, I've got friends who are Spurs fans. And I think they were right to be so angry at him. And and even if you know if I was the FA or the, the Premier League whoever I would look at it I really would because you'd I open think an investigation to Hazard's comments. I think he's no, it's disgraceful. And I'll take you to a different time. Ninety nine in France, last game of the season. Either Marseille or Bordeaux will win the league. Bordeaux play away in Paris. There was no way Paris would let would be Bordeaux and Marseille and let Marseille win the title. And and they ended up not playing the last fifteen minutes. Bordeaux scored the winner in the uh, five minutes before the time and went champions. And what is Hazard going to do if? Was that disgraceful? Yeah, it was disgraceful from PSG players. But it stopped Marseille. From yeah, the final. but it was still it was still disgraceful. And what happens on the last game of the season? You know, if you've got a situation like that, will the Chelsea players stop playing for the last fifteen minutes? I think Hazard, like most people now, don't think it'll come down to that last game. Secondly, we just don't do that here. We might, you might do it in your home nation. We don't do it here. I take you back to Blackburn needing to beat, thinking they might need to beat Liverpool, and and all Liverpool fans didn't want United to win the league. They wanted Blackburn to win the league. There's no, but there's no way a single Liverpool fan at Anfield that day or watching expected anything other than their players to perform to their best. There's an unwritten rule that you can joke about rivalry and who you might prefer to win the league. And this is a very different type of season. This is a very unusual season having a team like Leicester. And the fans have just been chanting, you better let Leicester win or not let Tottenham effing win or whatever they were singing at, at Hazard. And mm. he's just trying to tap into the fact that He'd look a bit of an idiot if he said, I don't know what they're talking about. It's quite nice that Hazard at least acknowledges where his club's rivalries are. It's quite nice that he knows that. It's a joke. I don't think he's actually saying we're going to not play when we face Leicester. And I think it's perfectly okay to say, well, we might up our game when we play Spurs, but they would anyway because you do in a derby. I doubt he meant it as as sort of nakedly, as as brutally as it sounded. But I think you're wrong, Alison, about, about kind of fan tribalism and not wanting your rivals to win the lead. I think you're right about what happened at Anfield in 95 when Liverpool wanted Liverpool fans wanted their team to beat Blackburn and then got lucky because United blew it at, at West Ham. But I think now there will be Chelsea fans who think I'd happily lose that last game to Leicester just so Spurs can't win the lead. I think there's been a major shift in how we think about about not just our teams but our relationship to other teams. I think that that is one of the most defining changes in English football in the last 20 years. Right, how about some quick hits? Liverpool and Newcastle draw 2-2, but Julian, from a Liverpool perspective, the fact is uh, overshadowed by news that Mamadou Sakho failed a UEFA-administered doping test after the quarterfinal second leg against Borussia Dortmund. 
Uh, what happens next? Well, what happened next is we'll watch the Euros on television, which is obviously a big shame for him because you wouldn't want to miss such a big competition on uh, you know, home on your home soil. It's a big shame for Liverpool as well because they're definitely not as strong without him than they are with him. Do you think about Kodotore facing the Villarreal attack on Thursday or even Martin Skirtle for that? It's just a shame. And Mamadou, I know you're listening. Just even if you're a bit fatter, it doesn't matter. But just avoid those sleeping pills. Well, in fact, the story's coming out that the club put pressure on uh, Mamadou to, yeah, uh, to, lose to lose weight. weight. And, and that He's always had be, a problem with that, by the way. Always. That might be behind the fat-burning pills. Yeah. Uh, I guess more details will emerge, but my understanding is that this particular ingredient, uh, which caused them to test positive, isn't listed uh, on, the, uh, on the list of ingredients in the fat-burning pills you took. That said, it's obviously his responsibility, mm. and I find it extraordinary that anybody would take anything like that without first checking with the club doctor. Even more if you employ a nutritionist, your personal own nutritionist who encourage, like Mamadou Saka does, he's got his own nutritionist who tell him what to eat and everything. And the guy thought it was a good idea to take those, uh, those slimming pills. As for Newcastle, they come from behind. 0-2 to 2-2. Rory, time for you to show Rafa some love. What's he doing different and better than the guy who came from before him? I think he's got Newcastle organised. I think he's instilled a bit of discipline. He's, his presence, I think, has given them a bit of a lift uh, because he is, he is a figure maybe of a manager that's larger, don't mean that like it sounds, than the club <laughs> were maybe expecting them they could get. Uh, I think the ultimate thing he has to do is give them confidence. Uh, that's what they're lacking. And in beating Swansea and drawing with City and Liverpool, he maybe has something to work with there, but they've still got a really tight run in. Yeah, using following some people's logic, maybe the fact that he's a former Liverpool manager and Liverpool go and happily fritter away two 0 lead and and Jurgen Klopp plays uh, plays what Rick Randall and like other guys Stewart or whatever and you know maybe no no and nobody no. Want, nobody like those conspiracy theories no all right let's move on. Meanwhile, Sunderland also get a point, drawing nil nil at home with Arsenal. Allison, Big Sam is going to do this, isn't he? Of course he is. Yes, <laughs> have it. <laughs> bye bye, Rafa. No, it's and Alex. Big Sam. Big Sam does not get relegated, and you sort of feel Rafa has come in with an out. Like people have said, well, it's a difficult job. In terms of strength of personality of manager, I think Sam probably edges it. And also, there was only one thing lacking in Big Sam, that was knowing what his favourite telly was. And as he's a fan of Line of Duty, which is the greatest British television programme ever, even more reason to admire him. Better than Faulty Towers. Have you been watching Line of Duty? No, I don't trying to watch nonsense television. Line of Duty. (laughs) Meanwhile, Julian, Arsenal are embroiled in another sea of negativity with Wenger once again the target. Wonderful sense of deja vu about this, but I do wonder though, is it really the same as years past? Meaning nothing happens and everyone jumps back on the bandwagon when Arsenal are top of the league in October and play some pretty football? Or is it going to be different this time? Like maybe Wenger might not be there in October? No. That's not. That's for sure. It will be there. The thing that the, the thing that is not going to change is the manager. That's for sure. Comes uh, October, November, December, January, February. He's going to be there for at least another year. What might change though is the recruitment. I do believe that some players will leave. Some arrive. Will arrive more than last season. Where I should remind everybody that only Peter Cech was signed by Arsenal, the only club in the whole world not to sign an uh, an outfield player. Is that how you say? It would be different this summer, but one thing for sure is that Wenger will still be there for another year. Kalechi Hinacho scores two as Manchester City beat up Stoke. Hinacho now has more league goals than Marcus Rashford, and he's scoring at a better rate as well. Should we be getting equally excited about him? 
No, because the reason people are excited foreign. about Rashford is because he's English. Ah. And Ian Acho, and the, 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 someone asked this, I can't remember who it was on Match of the Day, and said, oh, you know, why isn't he getting as much photos? And it's, it's simple. Ian Acho's Nigerian and Rashford's English. So there's obviously more interest in the English media and among English fans about this superstar English striker. But there's no question that Kelechi is probably an even brighter prospect than Rashford at this stage. Finally. Table-topping Leicester City take on Swansea without Jamie Vardy. But Claudio Ranieri pulls a reshuffle out of his hat, deploying El Ciclone, the Cyclone. Leo Ujoa up front and in a tactical masterstroke leaves out the excellent Mark Albrighton for Jeffrey Schlop, who uh, doesn't really do much when he's on the... or isn't really good at striking a ball, but he runs really fast and, and really hard in a straight line and works hard and is actually quite tactically intelligent. And they win 4-0. Alison, is this an emphatic answer to the doubters, or will we? Of course it is. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think it's probably psychologically a masterstroke because everyone was talking about, ooh, you know, Vardy's pace. Ooh, they'll miss Vardy's pace. Did that lull Swansea into thinking, well, we don't have to worry about pace. And then, lo and behold, he just throws on everyone with pace. And um, I've always been a fan of Schlupp, actually, mainly because of his name. Great name. Um, and even Ojoa, I have to hand it to Ranieri because I thought Ojoa was... I, I've not I'm not been impressed with him at all this season when I've seen him. And it must be hard to be in Vardy's shadow, but um, he really stepped up to the plate, as they say. So Ranieri got 10 out of 10, didn't he? And I've got a question for you, Gab. Um, last week, apparently, uh, I wasn't here, but you told us that maybe Barcelona's front three were a bit tired. Since then, Barca have won two games by a combined score of 14-0, with MSN scoring 12 of them. Will you admit that you were wrong? <laughs> what do you Come think? On. No, I, I, I no, think the same no, problems. Julian. Why did you ask him that? <laughs> I think the same problems are still there. They've played an absurd amount of football in the past 12 months. they paid far more than everybody else. They travel intercontinentally far more than everybody else. I'm talking about the front three now. And the fact that they scored a gazillion goals has to do with the opposition, has to do with the fact that you know, they, they're still very good players. And this past weekend, it has to do with a bunch of uh, of imaginary penalties and a horrible uh, refereeing performance. Have you uh, ever admitted you're wrong? No, because I'm not wrong on this thing. If they're tired, ever, they're no, tired. No, it's not like they've rested the last anything, few days. Though, have you ever admitted you're wrong? Occasionally, yes. Okay. Very rarely. <laughs> I, it really is a fascinating uh, race in La Liga because um, Barca and um, uh, Atletico Madrid level on points at the top, Real Madrid one point behind. There's this conventional wisdom that everybody's going to run the table and Barcelona are going to win because they have a better head-to-head. But I think the pressure will mount because you know one slip and it could cost you the title. So, I don't know. I I think it's it's nice to have a good, old-fashioned, exciting run-in. And who will win the title? I suggest Barcelona, but I don't think they're, they're sort of these massive favorites by any stretch. Right, that's all we've got time for today. Many, many thanks to my guests today, the excellent Alison Rudd, the outstanding Julian Lawrence, and Rory Smith. Please press that subscribe button. We're going to be back with you next week. And remember, you can get exclusive football highlights free as part of your subscription. It's just £12 for a 12-week trial. Just search The Times online. Till next week, bye-bye. Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away.
Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone.